What's good, what's good, what's good, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Reimagining Youth Work podcast. This episode, I'm talking to my brother, Sadiq Ali, who is out of Maryland Mentor. We had this amazing conversation about his legacy, a legacy that he grew up in, actually beginning with his father, his own legacy uh, in Baltimore, in that area, in that area of Maryland. Um, we talk about his perspective of mentoring work. We talk about sort of through his own journey, how he came to be engaged in the work that he is right now. You know, he dropped a lot of gems. I feel like I've been lucky uh, in this podcast so far to be talking to folks that really have a lot to offer our community of youth workers. But he talks uh, in an ongoing way, this concept of do for self that we are building sort of in community, you know, with folks, um, who are like-minded, who are really trying to sort of leave this legacy behind that our young folks can then take over, right? Um, so he talks a lot about, you know, his experience even outside of mentoring, working with young people as he, you know, built a target in Baltimore. He talks about, again, his own childhood and watching the folks around him build spaces for him as a young person to be able to grow uh, and be nurtured. He talks a little bit about his work, um, actually a lot about his work at Maryland Mentor um, and especially new programming that he's been doing um, with black girls, girls of color. Sadiq offers a lot um, in terms of youth work because he's thoughtful, he's critical, he moves with intention. Uh, and those are some of the things that I want you to listen to as you as you take in this episode is is thinking about that intentionality and that mindfulness that goes behind really reimagining youth work and doing youth work uh, in critical ways. So I hope you love the episode. I think you will. Let's get into it. This is Dr. Tori Weston Certain, and you're listening to Reimagining Youth Work. What's good, family? Welcome back to another episode of Reimagining Youth Work. Today, I am speaking to Sadiq Ali, who is the founder and CEO of Millionaire Manners Academy. He is also the founding executive director of Maryland Mentor. Now, Million Manners, Millionaire Manners Academy is a youth and family-oriented training organization that's based in the DMV. This brother is also a highly sought after professional speaker and Amazon bestselling author of three books and counting. His latest is I Am the Greatest. I'll leave reference there <laughs> and will be released this spring. Welcome to the show, Sadiq. What's good, bro? Peace and blessings. Always, uh, always a pleasure. Always an honor to be invited anywhere. Right. Like we know thoughts and, and invitations, they like, you know, they like prayers, right? You know, you think of somebody, you invite them into your space. That's, that's a blessing. So I appreciate being here. Respect, respect. So I just want you to know to that point that, you know, I'm only messing with people on this podcast that, <laughs> that got some real gems and wisdom to share with the audience. Um, and I've been sharing with all of the guests that, you know, folks are asking me all of these questions and I'm like, I'm doing this work, but I'm also looking to other folks, looking to other folks like you, Atreus, you know, other folks in the field that I build alongside and that I collaborate with. So again, you know, I appreciate you being here. Appreciate you giving me your time. Really looking wow. forward to all the gems you finna drop. 
No pressure. Yeah. No pressure. Huh? <laughs> and and, and for, before we get started, since I just want to shout you out, you know what I mean? Like um, any, anytime I do one of these podcasts or, or interviews, et cetera, it's like, nah, you deserve props, you know, and, and again, those roses while you can smell them because you creating this platform is, again, critical and pivotal because, again, these are the types of conversations that you and me, we might just have on a cell <laughs> yeah. and each other again, you know, we, we start building and, and talking and vibing, you know, the, the problems of the world can get solved. So yeah. you creating this platform, I just want to shout you out on all the work that you continue to do, et cetera. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big admirer of your work, et cetera, as well. So again, much love to you. I appreciate you. appreciate you. Well, let's get into it. Let's get into it. I want to always start with just asking folks a little bit about their own story, their own background. Let's, let's get into Sadiq's head and history. Um, and the reason I ask that question is because so much of who we are, our upbringing and all that seems to have to seems to play a significant role in why we do youth work today. So tell us a little bit about your history and about the work you do. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Listen, um, it's, it's always like, man, where, where, where to even start? So, you know, just start, I, I guess, back, back in the day, grew, grew up in the D.C. area. And, um, you know, I would say one, one of my biggest influences for sure you know, was my dad, um, my dad as a, uh, a community leader, uh, entrepreneur, uh, Pan-Africanist, um, you know, just, just all around dope dude. And uh, I can really look, you know, at my early, just super early conversations and, and, and socialization with him as absolutely the springboard for what I, you know, for what I do and why I do what I do today. And, um, you know, just 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 even going back, like my dad again was an entrepreneur and um, uh, actually was the first person to create like a chain of bookstores actually in the DMV. And uh, those bookstores were called uh, Pyramid Books. You know, so shout out to anybody that that is uh, from the DMV. Um, opened the first Pyramid Bookstore on Georgia Avenue, two blocks up from Howard University, the Mecca, uh, where my parents, you know, I mean, both met back in the 70s. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Howard baby. Shout out to Morgan State, though, my alum. You know, we'll get to that. But just That's seeing my up. dad do his thing in the community and, and, and just really see him embody this idea of community service, especially when we're talking about knowledge itself. You know, that that is truly, you know, the, the, the common thread mm-hmm. between really the connective tissue. Right. You when know, we talk about the work that we do, et cetera. It, it all kind of comes back to that knowledge of self, right? That, that, that embodiment of lifting as you climb right. was put into me at, at a very, very early age. So grew, grew up with my dad. I consider myself, you know, one of the, uh, one of the quote unquote lucky ones that, that had an opportunity to see him up close and personal and, um, you know, matriculated through uh, DC, DC schools and ended up in Prince George's County right outside of DC and um, another pivotal so the moment for me early on was was during middle school is my introduction to mentoring, okay. uh, which which wouldn't come up again until until many years later. Yeah. Um, but growing up in Prince George's County, you know, is one of the blackest counties uh, in in the entire country. Mm-hmm. You know, they they say it's the uh, the wealthiest. I think I don't know if that's still the case, but at one time it was the wealthiest uh, county uh, for African Americans in the country. You know, so a bunch of you know big wigs and entrepreneurs, government. Folks, you know, they moved out to PG County and, yep. and built built a great life. So I had the opportunity to uh, to go to school in, uh, in Prince George's County, and it's a lot of black teachers. You know, you know, you know the stats as well as I do that mm-hmm. 
a number of young people will never grow up having an African-American male as a teacher, uh, having an African-American period, let alone African-American male. Mm -hmm. So me, me growing up uh, in that situation, Hyattsville Middle School, shout out HMS. You know, I had four different African-American male teachers. Oh, wow. That's cool. Four different males. And it, it was a wild experience because at that early age, these young brothers, again, you're talking early 20s, mm -hmm. they started an after school program called Umoja. Okay. Part of the Nguzo Saba, of course, Umoja mm -hmm. meaning unity and mm -hmm. Kiswahili. These brothers started this after school program that, that I just want to say altered my trajectory, I'm sure, because again, they just made it so dope and cool to just, again, have that knowledge itself and again, incorporate culture into everything that we, uh, everything that we were doing. So yeah. that's a little bit, and you know, it's, yeah. it's a bunch of other pieces, but, but I feel like you want to dig in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But that's key though, because you're telling me you had it in the house, you had it at school and you had it in the community. I mean, it, it was a blessing. It's a blessing. And the crazy thing about mentoring in, and, and I tell this to folks all the time is like, especially when we on some like, Oh, you know, you know what it is, Tori, right? Yeah. Mentoring is only for poor black kids, right. only for poor brown kids. Right. Like I was going to be, I feel like I was going to be all right. Right. And my mentors made me appreciate my dad even more though. Mm. They made me appreciate my community even more. Uh, and that's the power of mentoring for all young people, not just young people that we think need it. Sometimes it's the ones we think need it. But they ain't even the ones that really need it the most. Sometimes <laughs> exactly. the other ones. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so just going yeah. going through that experience was was just so pivotal. Yeah. Um, that's so I mean, after, yeah, I'm just really trying to point out that that's a powerful trifecta because, you know, so many of our young people, when we think about the impact of mentoring. And again, you and I know the stats well, having that 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 caring adult in your life or that turnaround person. That's another you know term that's being used in the research. When you have that person and they're, they're saying in the literature, like you just need one of them. Right. But if you have the benefit of growing up with an, with a, just a complete wraparound of home school, I mean, that's the kind of community we're trying to build for young people. So, I mean, I think it's beautiful that you, that you saw that, right. And that now you're being able to pour that into what you do. That's right. That's right. And, and I always like to say their names, you know, brother Solon Phillips, uh, brother Raleem Shabazz, brother Sean Alford. I mean, these were young brothers. This is like telling my age now. This is 94, <laughs> 95. I'm in middle school. Yeah. And these brothers have, again, an African-centered after-school program. We are not, we out that joint. Stepping Tory. Yeah. We out there, you know, I mean, really, really powerful group of young brothers, many of which I'm still connected to today, 20-something years yeah. later from that one experience. Like, we we still talk about Umoja to this day, yeah. 25 years later it was like that yeah so let me ask you this were you in a predominantly muslim community and did that make a yeah. difference you know that's a that's a great question so you know now now we're getting a little a little historical right yeah. so you know the, the the black muslim movement right aka the the, the nation of islam mm -hmm. was super prevalent you know what i mean in the early 70s uh, late late 60s early 70s of course etc uh, made popular. Shout out to Who Killed Malcolm X. Literally, me and my wife just started watching it Bro, last night. I've watched it four times. <laughs> oh man, it's man is heavy. Yeah, man it is. is heavy. So yeah, it is. pops like like a lot of brothers at the time was heavily influenced by Malcolm X. So you, I, absolutely, my dad was involved in the Nation of Islam mm -hmm. early on. You know, 
because again, those brothers, they did work in terms of, of, of lifting the black man up and, right. again, and planting that seed of do for self and knowledge yourself, mm-hmm. which for me are two core tenets of, of, of all youth development. It's right. got to include knowledge yourself and this idea do for self. I'm not going to do for you. I'm going to do with you, mm-hmm. um, young mm-hmm. man, young woman. So, uh, so definitely mom and dad made that transition, you know, from, from sort of nation of Islam to, yeah. to you know, Sunni Islam, okay. uh, Orthodox as well. But, um, you know, definitely had, had a good mixture, I would say of both, you know, culture and faith, right. Okay. Which a lot of times, especially, you know, Islamically, we, we sort of conflate, right. I'm a black man. I'm a black man first. And I tell folks that, you know, my, my, my chosen faith, you know, it, is Islam, but you know the unifying factor. What's going to unify you and me? Mm-hmm. What's going to unify me and, and our continental brothers and sisters mm-hmm. is our is our connection to Africa, our, mm-hmm. our Africanness, our culture. Right. And uh, for me, th- that that is again part of the connective tissue. As we talk about what's what's missing a lot of times from young people is that that idea of being connected to something larger than yourself right. is, is so critical. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I kind of I, I probably will come back <laughs> to Islam. But, you know, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about just the faith element and also just how I've seen how strong um, Muslim communities tend to be there. There's a especially, I think, communities of folks who are the most marginalized. And we know Muslims have been marginalized in America historically. Um, so that's why I picked up on that. And I was thinking when you started saying brother Shabazz, et cetera, I was like, there's an element here of, like you said, do for self. I mean, those brothers created that program because they were the ones to do it. I mean, it was their community. These were their kids. Right. Um, and there's a level of that that happens in some communities in a more, in a deeper, more intense way that doesn't happen in more sort of mainstream American communities, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, it's deep, and I, I I think your observation is 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 absolutely correct. Um, I think it's is really really important, like you said, the, the the community aspect, right? Because again, a lot of what those brothers put into place is being felt generations later. Right. In terms of again, just that that idea of you know, again, we don't need anybody else to come into our communities and and and, and fix things or fix us. Right. You know. I was just having a conversation, funny enough, with a with a colleague, and um, they used the term radicalized, right? And, and I said, you know, oh. it, that's such a funny term, right? But in actuality, racist and white supremacists are actually the ones that are radical. Right. You and I, we're the ones that are normal because all <laughs> we want to do is exist right. and, and, and have an opportunity to, again, ultimately do for self. Right. So- these ain't radical thoughts that we have around community building and doing for self. That's normal stuff. Yes, absolutely. That's normal self-determination that most, not even most because of imperialism and a lot of other factors. Right. I was going to say most folks have, I would say everyone desires, mm-hmm. but only a select few have the wherewithal to truly be self-determinant. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just crazy. We, we think of ourselves as being radical when we're talking about liberation or, right. or, or you know, black and brown. Again, just self uh, uh, self-determination. We think of that stuff as radical. That's yeah. that's that's crazy to me. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, tell me, so tell me, let's get into the work aspect of this. So how did all of this influence what you're doing today? And then tell us more about what you are doing today. Yeah, no, dope, dope. So, you know, one of my biggest influences, um, obviously, I, I just I just noted was was my pops. So I would say really around 2011, you know, so I, I, I came up through youth development in terms of really with a backdrop of a corporate, a corporate background, mm -hmm. uh, corporate retail. So I, I was okay. actually a um, a store, a store manager. We used to call them STL, store team leader yeah. for Target. Um, you know, you know, big bright stores, bullseye, right? Yep. Um, so, so kind of came up through through the Target, you know, management leadership program, and, and, and ultimately was uh, was promoted to. Uh, at one point, I was like the youngest store manager in, in the entire state of Maryland, and um, you know, for for kind of my track record at the time, I was selected to actually lead and open the first Target store in Baltimore City. Okay. Um, and again, you talk about a transformative experience. Um, so I ran that store for uh, for almost five years. And just to give some of our our dope audience, our dope listeners, just some context, uh, this Target store was, was, was definitely in the hood, right? In the hood, so to speak. And just for a little context, uh, as the Freddie Gray uh, uprisings took place, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the epicenter of those uprisings was at Mundalman Mall uh, at the at the train and bus depot where my store was located. OK, uh, okay. just to kind of give you all some context. So it was right across the street from Frederick Douglass High School, where, you know, many of the students were actually blamed for you know, essentially initiating those those uprisings and, and, and what was to come. So, you know, it, needless to say, it, it was a, it was a rough area. But what what folks. Uh, obviously, you know, my mentors inside the company knew, but other folks were, pro were probably doubting is that, man, there's no way that store is going to last because of where it's located. Ooh. No way that those young people or those community folks are, are, are going to be ready to work. So they're going to have a real, real tough time. And, um, and no doubt there were some challenges, but in terms of what we found in terms of raw potential and assets, from from that community, mm -hmm. and, and now I live literally ten minutes away from there. Now, yeah, um, it, it it was it was absolutely beautiful, because we know like young people usually have one of two ways in terms of an unramp to the work world, right? It's either retail or fast food. Yep. And in my store, like I had a Starbucks and a restaurant, and we were also selling clothes and dish detergent, etc. Yeah, so yeah, we had the best of both worlds. So Tori, my uh, my team was majority under the age of 25. Wow. So all young people. So I had to learn and get good real, real quick, you know, leading and motivating, managing young people. But it was such a blessing because I had to wear so many hats. So I'm mentor, I'm big bro, yeah. I'm father figure, I'm unk, you know, I'm psychologist, but I'm also <laughs> like a store manager and I got to run this, you know, almost $40 million store. Right. So it, it was really through that experience. I'm like, man, the our young people don't need, again, handouts. They need hand, you know, hand ups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like these young people I'm talking about, we're dope and just needed a shot. Maybe because nobody told them that you should come to the interview with you wearing a collar, right? right. Or you might want to iron your shirt, young right. homie, before, right. before you come through. And what we think of as common sense, it wasn't common. So I made it my point and I trained my team to make sure that we asked those probing questions and that we just wouldn't judge a book by its cover. So mm -hmm. we ended up hiring brothers coming home, young people that was their first yeah. job. I'm talking about a lot of those, those folks that we hired stayed in that position for mm -hmm. years and years. Um, so it was really like through that inspiration that, that I ended up writing my first book, uh, Millionaire Manners, because I'm like, man, I wish I could just 
work with all of the young brothers that, that are in my store, like on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So I'm like, man, I can't mentor 10,000 young people, but man, if I write this book, right. then, you know, I can leave that behind. So um, that, that was definitely my inspiration for doing that. Yeah. So but you were thinking legacy early on. Trying, trying, <laughs> but that's real. I mean, and I again, I knew I, I knew I was going to keep finding stuff as I talked to you. But that legacy aspect is important because, okay, here you talk about the legacy of your father, the legacy of those brothers in the community that started mm -hmm. the after school program. You're you're going to work doing your thing, and you're finding legacy work there. Wow! Right, and so there, you, there is I something. <laughs> I mean, because there, there's something to be said about, you know, a lot of us are in this work, maybe not even thinking legacy, but recognizing that that what we're doing is passing something down. Right. Yep. Um, and so I'm seeing you. You piece this together early on in your 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 early history. And I'm thinking, man, Sadiq, in 30 more years, I don't man, we're going to be we're going to be really looking at some some life's work. Yeah, I pray. I pray. That, you know, that's 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 the goal to leave something you know, that, um, that won't necessarily be finished in our lifetime, yeah. you know, like if you could see it through, right. Or, or again, if it can just be built with you, then we think it too small. Right. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I take that my sister and I receive it, you know, <laughs> it's all good. So let's talk about, you know, liberatory mentoring. Let's talk about, you know, you and I have had lots of conversations about how we make this work more critical, how we become more innovative and you have, some stuff that you're working on. I don't know if you want to, you know, talk a little bit about that, but yeah. I want to hear your ideas around this liberatory aspect of mentoring. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I will just say, um, you know, one, one of the other pieces though, is I was, you know, inspired to, to, to do more, right. Leaving out of target just to kind of button that up a little bit. My pops passed in 2011. Oh, wow. So, you I'm know, sorry. it was right around that time when like the deep, deep soul searching, you know, began, like I loved my job at target, you know, I had like you know, almost 300 employees. Like it was, it was, it was dope. It was a really, really uh, formative experience for me going from a young man, um, you know, to, to more of a seasoned uh, professional in, uh, in, in those ranks, you know, make, making good money, all that was having a good time, but I'm like, man, I need to do more. I can do more. Mm. And, and that was really part of, part of what propelled me. So after I left um, Target, I resigned um, from Target in 2012 and, um, put put out put out my first book really as a manual, and then really began doing that work with yeah. uh, with local sort of workforce development folks, et cetera, around how do we engage better with our young men, especially our our, our young men of color. Mm -hmm. Like these aren't these aren't lazy individuals. These aren't folks of low intelligence. Right. It's, it's the exact opposite. As a matter of fact, these these young brothers have skills that you all have no idea about and really know nothing about. Mm -hmm. uh, so. It really behooves you to ask some questions and not just to assume that you know what time it is because right. chances are you don't. Um, so it was really that work that, that led me to do do some different things around the country, et cetera. And what led me um, to sort of jump in full fledged to, yeah. uh, to, to become a part of the mentoring, the National Mentoring Partnership Network and, uh, and, and some of that work, which now has afforded me the opportunity to sit in lots of different, sit at lots of different tables mm -hmm. and have conversations like this around what does it mean to do youth work like mm -hmm. and, and, and this idea of liberation and, and liberatory principles uh, in the conversation around mentoring i think is critical just because if all of our work doesn't lead to the to the point where again young people are able to do for self without mm -hmm. using uh community or adults uh as a crutch because right. there's different 
right? A crutch is different than like a, a support, right? Those those, yes. those those are different. You know, one one is one is enabling and 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 uh, one is empowering. You know mm-hmm, what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So when I think of really the, the the context of liberation, like that's the whole point of the work. Yeah. Like that's the end destination for what it is we say we're trying to accomplish. Right. So some of the work that we've started locally um, in, in, in the Baltimore area is like, how do we arm people that, you know, have good intentions, mm-hmm. right? Cause we know that that's not enough. Right. Like, it's like terrible stuff happens all the time with like dope intentions. We're like, man, I'm really, really trying to help. But how do we arm folks to do this work in, in a way that, uplifts young people that right. uh, connects them again to their culture that doesn't dissociate them from their culture doesn't render their culture obsolete or right. or incorrect or wrong or otherwise right. but how do we embrace young people in a way that allows them to embrace their full selves yeah. i think is the point of the work um you know so for me that that's part of what we're working on in baltimore is putting together learning communities where we can explore the principles of critical mentoring and the principles of alternative methodologies and the principles of rites of passage programs, right? And and all of these different aspects that is ancient technology. We don't, we don't got to reinvent a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. We got to, I think you've said it before you talked about, we got to remember. Yes. We got to remember, you know what I mean? Like I got a Sankofa bird hanging in my office right here. Y'all can't see it, but you know, we got to look back in order to, 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 to go forward in the right way. So, right. you know, I, I'm excited about that work because there are so many folks that, again, want to help. So we, we got we to gotta help them help us. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to help them help young people. And I don't even really like using the word. I'm just using that because that's the quote. Yes. <laughs> really, it's about less help and, and, and more support. Right. Less me giving to you and more me giving you know, with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I have to, to I have to shout out speaking of that, because you were even talking about the diaspora earlier. So that concept of remembering comes from Dr. Cynthia Dillard. I got to send you her book because you would you're going to love it. But she Please. talks about this concept of remembering. And she was the person who hosted my, my first ever visit to the continent. So um, and I think that's when when I was talking about that. I think that was January at the conference when I was talking about that. I was talking oh, about right. having been to Ghana and actually being like, oh, this is already in my ancestors. Like, this is in my blood. And this is why I'm called to do this. Right. And that's why when you were talking about your history, that that term legacy um, just started just resonated with me. Right. Because it is about sort of remembering what what our folks and our ancestors have already done. And then like we're just picking up that mantle and carrying it on trying to hand it off to these young folks, right? Straight up. And that's, and like you said, it is ancient technology. There's nothing new about it. And, and it don't have to be new and shiny. I mean, when we talk about like nothing new under the sun, the best stuff is, is repurposed, combined yep. pieces, right? <laughs> iPhone, my iPhone right here. This ain't yep. nothing but a, a GPS, <laughs> a, a, a iPod, you know, a flip phone. Yep. And, and a video game machine. It just happens to all be in one box, yep. you know? Remix. Um, <laughs> straight up. Yep, straight it's up. The we remix. need to reinvent the wheel. That's that's wonderful. So tell, talk about talk a little bit about Elevate Her and uh, talk a little bit about the learning community that you're putting together because I want to just make sure folks hear about all of those opportunities. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, so Elevate Her um, was, was, was a really 
um, the, the idea kind of came again, being in community and, and, and having, you know, dope conversations with colleagues locally. Yeah. Um, you know, we said to ourselves like, man, you know, National Mentoring Month is this thing, you know, it happens every month. Um, I guess it's, it's been happening every month since uh, early 2000s, I guess, yeah. at this point. Um, you know, but again, I, I think so often, you know, th thanks, you know, patriarchy and paternalism, right? We, you know, we think of things through this one lens and um, a lot of the, the the celebrations that we do around mentoring are normally, you know, male centric, right? They're, they're young men centric. So, you know, we said to ourselves, what would it look like to create a venue where we could recognize the power of, of a female mentorship and, and, and really celebrate, you know, young ladies and, 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 and different, um, you know, powerful women coming together to, to speak life into, um, into these young ladies, et cetera. And we yeah. ended up putting together um, the Elevate Her, right, to honor, empower, and revitalize um, young, uh, young women's and, and, um, and girls mentoring summit, yeah. uh, which took place. Uh, I can't, that, that, that's crazy that that was this year. That seemed like it was 10 years ago. <laughs> that's the Rona. The Rona. Say, this was last year, <laughs> last January. That's crazy, Tori. Yes. Um, but it was absolutely amazing. It was the first time we did it, and and the response was was tremendous. Um, you know, Iman was one of the uh, dope sponsors. You, you immediately saw the vision. <laughs> we chatted you. about it um, and, and showed love to shout out uh, to the whole Iman family. But it was just really a dope gathering of, of again, just women. I was literally like one of only three men there. <laughs> And, and it was like 200 women there, young, young, uh, young girls and women. Yes. So it, it, it was pretty cool on one hand. Yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was cool. Yeah, it was cool on a bunch of hands. <laughs> uh, it was a really, really dope event. And, you know, we look forward to that uh, being something that we do each and every year just to be able to celebrate just the power of mentoring. And again, let, let folks know that this isn't, you know, just, again, something that's good for young boys or, again, as we have right. poor black kids need mentors. Right. Like, yeah, I think we were. Just, I was just having a conversation with somebody just in terms of, again, just like some of the mental health challenges, et cetera. It's like mm -hmm. sometimes the most affluent people are the ones with the most trauma yep. and the most issues. <laughs> so, absolutely, so, man, you're just doing good work. I'm just like, man. Okay, sometimes with these interviews, I have to really get myself because I'm like, I look, I'm looking at the time, and I'm like, I got. I want to talk about stuff, <laughs> but I want to give the audience what they need too, right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay on track. I'm gonna stay on track. <laughs> oh, uh, I didn't even mention the uh, the um, more, more details around the uh, uh, around the cohort learning community yes, that we're please building. Talk about that. Yes. So, you know, inspired, you know, all the time by again work that 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 you know comrades and brothers and sisters in the field are doing, and um, you know, always inspired by this you know, by these ideas of, of anti-racism, right, is, again, one of the one of the goals of our work, right, is to create an anti-racist society. Because, again, there's so many buzzwords and catchwords, DEI and idea, mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion and action. And, you know, there, there's just a lot of this work going on. It's like the elephant in the room will be in this country and continues to be that of race and racism and white supremacy. So until we are able to call that out, calling somebody a racist is not a matter of uh, being a pejorative or right. being a personal. It is a matter of practice. Yep. And the deeper we get into 
that conversation, I think the, the better off will be. I, I've been inspired lately by How to Be an Anti-Racist, mm -hmm. my brother Ibram X. Kendi. Yep. Uh, again, continually inspired by your work, uh, the work of People's Institute uh, for Survival and Beyond, and they're undoing racism work. Um, so we said, hey, what does it look like if we put together a learning community that was built on these principles to ensure that as we approach young people, we don't end up doing more harm than good, right? right. We, we look at, the, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of video clips and whatnot. You know, the one that immediately comes to mind is this idea of, man, I got to civilize this young person by cutting their locks, by cutting their locks, Tori. Mm -hmm. Like this is some idea of making them more respectable, mm -mm. right? That, that, that we teach in, in, in too many of our programs, the idea of assimilation. Right. Right. Versus learning the system and, and you know, and, and, and infiltration. Right. 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 Um, so that, that was really the idea behind. So so a group um, of really, really dope, um, you know, anti-racism and, and equity, race equity practitioners in, in Baltimore have come together again with with um, with your support as well. And, and, and a bunch of other folks mixed in this conversation. How do we build a community of folks that are dedicated right, and committed to doing this work in not, not the, the right way, but the right way for young people, yeah. right? the best way for young people. Right. And also to add that layer of accountability in, because, you know, we have a lot of these conversations. we be hopping on a lot of webinars and training stories <laughs> yep. and stuff be feeling real good in a moment. Right. But then I get back to my desk. And I got to go and raise funds or I got to mm -hmm. go and, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And I forget. So we got to help folks stay accountable to this work. Right. We got to incorporate youth voice mm -hmm. when we're doing this work. We got to co-design with young people as we're doing this work. Right. Um, so that way folks, folks ain't got no excuse. Yeah. Because that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right? It's like we got to eliminate some of the excuses for doing it the wrong way. Like there's this idea in industrial engineering and design, human-centered design, to design something so it can only work the right way. There's this concept, right? Like you go into fast food restaurants, the, the engineers, they're trying to design a stove that you cannot possibly use incorrectly. So, so that's really like one of the thoughts behind this work is how do we design stuff where you can't mess it up by ingraining these, these principles so deeply that it becomes a party. That's what we're trying to do. It's lofty, but you know, I, I think it could be done though. Yeah, it's it's lofty, but it's beautiful and it can be done. A do for self, as you've been saying throughout this entire interview, we don't do it. Who's going to do it for us? Right. And if we don't right. hold each other accountable. Who's going to hold us accountable? That's right. So, you know, based on what what you've all been saying, what you've been saying throughout this interview, talk to me about how all of your work collectively is helping to reimagine youth work. Yeah, that's, that's, that's such a deep thought. Again, the, the fact that you named this, this, this conversation series, this podcast, Reimagining. You know, for me, my, my ultimate like dream almost in, in this work is like, Tori, when, when will we get to, to the point where mentoring in this current form is no longer needed? Mm. Yeah. Like why, why, we why we have mentoring? Why is that a thing? Why isn't it just community? Mm. Why isn't it not just life? Right? We got to have, you know what I mean? Like our, our, our families are not broken because that indicates it, it came that way. Our families have been broken. Right, right. 
our families have been broken, you know, to the point where we need, right, mentoring as an institution, right? So all, all, all of this work for me has got to point to, to that end goal of like not needing mentoring, us working ourselves out of a job. Yeah. Why you got to do research on critical mentoring? Yeah. Why just ain't the way we do stuff? <laughs> right. Part of it is racism. And, and, and again, you talk about legacy, the legacy of this country, the ongoing and oh my God, gaining steam legacy of, mm-hmm. of racism and white supremacy. It, it like, as soon as we get a little, a little steam, Tori, boom, mm-hmm. we got a Maud Arbery. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As soon as we get a little steam, like, man, but that's my thing. Like, how do we get to a point where we don't need some of these like phrases? One, one of my homies here locally, shout out to Sean, man, Sean Burnett, uh, really, really dope brother. Um, you know, he always talks about like, why is resilience a thing that's mm, celebrated? Yeah. When, when are we going to get to the end of resilience? Right. You know, these existential questions are the work. But important <laughs> questions, right? And, and you know, what I'm thinking about too, as we talk is the thoughtfulness the intention behind everything that you're doing. And, you know, I know for us, this may seem a natural part of the process, but I talk to so many folks that just, they're just showing up to work. Look, I'm a program manager at ABC. Like I'm here, you know, I love it. It's cool. But the intention behind it, the passion, you know, you know, again, the legacy building that, that you're thinking about, this is something that people have to learn or grow in or, or move out of the way for folks that already have it because that's a part of, I mean, that's a lot of what's missing from, some, from this work is that yeah. folks, you know, folks are treated like another, you know, another, and on some level it is the nonprofit industrial complex, but it, for them it's another aspect of capitalism. Like I'm waking up every morning, I'm going to work, I'm collecting my paycheck, I'm doing my job. But there isn't this intention behind it, like I hear you saying. Yeah, and you know, shout out to 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 all of again, man, like our 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 colleagues, our comrades in this work, man. Like I used to say it all the time. I've toned it down a little bit. I was was pretty intense, you know. I I still am, (laughs) but you know, I'm like, man. I used to open up a lot of my talks to 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 youth development professionals, etc. Like, if you don't love this work and you're not one step getting back, you know, one step removed from getting back on this horse, you got to quit and you got to quit now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And going to work in banking, you know what I'm saying? Or, or going to retail, you got to go and be an entrepreneur. You got to get out now. Yeah. We just, I know you've seen, you might've even been the one that retweeted it. Like, why we think young people are disengaged during the pandemic if we weren't engaging them to begin with? <laughs> yep. What was going to happen? <laughs> now they have... There's literally nothing you could do to make them log on. Mm-hmm. And you're surprised that they're not logging on. So I'm like, if you in youth development work or you work in anywhere in remote proximity to young people and you don't love this, yep. you got to quit and you got to quit now. Yeah. Like I'm begging you, quit. Quit is that important. You know right. what I mean? Because again, we get we we highs and lows in this work, but it's like if 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 you're not surrounding your, yourself with those folks that can relight that fire for you yeah. like every so often. Mm-hmm. If, if your flame been dim for a really, really long time, you brother, sister, you got to re you got to get a relit ASAP or quit. Absolutely. And go and be, you know what I'm saying? Go and be a veterinarian or something, man. This work is, is, is too important. Like our youngest, they need us 
they need us too much, man. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's scary. So, so that being said, like I do try to be intentional, um, and, and, and strategic and again, collaborative because like, I'm crazy if I think I'm the expert on everything. I'm crazy. I like I try my best to spend time with folks like you and 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 again, like you said, folks like Atreus. Yeah. You know, yeah. Shout out to Atreus. You know, we we didn't even talk about that. We just got back from Cuba, right? I was going to mention it. I was going to mention it. Oh my it. god! <laughs> so since you mentioned it, let's talk about that because you know I was I was going to get just a little bit into the global aspect of this, right? Again, you talked earlier about the diaspora, and we were talking about legacy and the ancestors. But there is an there is a global aspect of this that needs to be done. So, yeah, right now, like talk about your experiences in Cuba and how that's influencing your youth work. Man, look, I could I could burn up the rest of our time. <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm just going to say to everybody listening to this again, especially to my black and brown folks like travel, travel, travel. And, and, and as a general rule of thumb, anything that the general you know, propaganda machine lifts up as questionable or or not good things like Cuba or or the or socialism, which again you do a little research and, and mm-hmm. Cuba does not have a pure socialistic society and, and system of uh, of economics. Right. Just like America does not have a pure capitalistic one. Right. These are all hybrids, right? Um, but I would just say we got to do our own research, just like, again, we talk about the continent. We, me and my wife were blessed to visit Ghana as well in 2016. And, and again, just a life-changing experience because we, we, we're just not taught to value exploration. We're not taught right. to value curiosity. And, and I think largely in part, and somebody might jump over me for saying this, but I think you know, for, for a lot of folks, that, that is in part the legacy of enslavement and that uh, you know, a lot of a lot of our people, I feel like at, at times, you know, we just kind of put our head down and it's like a need to know. And I just we got to We got to get out of that. You know, again, I, forgive me if I if I sound preachy again to anybody listening to this. I'm just like I'm just super passionate about it. But we just got to go and see things for ourselves. There are right. some folks that had no desire to visit Africa, you know, and, and, and I, I feel like that's a big part of what's missing, especially mm-hmm. as we talk about genuinely and authentically engaging our young people is that African-Americans in this country, we are the only, hear me, we are the only people that have been intentionally cut off from our ancestral home. Mm -hmm. We're the only people on the planet. So we've got to intentionally, we got to move with intention throughout our whole life. And I'm telling you a lot of times our youngins, as they rebel, it's because they've been cut off from their source. Right. Yeah. So if that is not a part of your mentoring program, or, or again, just your general praxis to include some sort of cultural relevance, my God, right. we're missing. Right. And you know what's when you were talking about that, I was thinking about a brother who was taking us around. We went to the ancestral river, and he was talking about, you know why are you consistently as black Americans getting this message? Don't come to Africa. You know, it's, you know, he, he said he listed all the stereotypes, you know, Oh, oh, don't go there. It's dirty. You're going to get sick. You know, this, that, and the other thing. And he said, but go to our, our tourist areas and you'll see nothing but Europeans, white folks, enjoying the beaches, enjoying the hotels. So they're telling you not to come, 
but they're enjoying all that Africa has to offer. Tori, and don't, and don't get me started about the investment aspect, how large swaths of, of the continent, just like it was done you know, back, back in the day, uh, are now being swallowed up by our Indian, you know, uh, our, our Indian friends, right? Mm-hmm. Our Chinese friends mm-hmm. getting getting 99 year leases on the railroad system and, and the telecom industry, right. right? Is is again, booming in Africa. So not only does it make sense for us to just know and become accustomed just with our culture, but there's also, again, just back, back to capitalism, right? We don't yeah. put that hat on. Yeah, there's, there's opportunities for us to do business there. There's right. import, export, there's, uh, infrastructure investment. Right. Um, there's just so many opportunities, yeah. but again, we, we gotta, again, back to do for self. If there's a yep. theme, I right? just call this the do for self episode. Yep, Tori. You absolutely. Know that. <laughs> Print that. But it comes back to us just having that mentality, like go and see for ourselves, mm-hmm. go and see for ourselves. Like we have to and stop taking folks word for it. Right. Absolutely. Do for self and knowledge of self. So my next question for you is about strategy. So, you know, both of us, we, we work with a lot of practitioners, folks in the mentoring orgs, youth development spaces, inside and outside of schools. What kind of strategies do you want to offer those folks for how to make their work more critical, more innovative? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, for me, just because, again, I, I don't think we, we do, it a mu- uh, do it enough and, and as intentionally, you know, my, my first strategy is always going to be around, uh, again, especially for programs that serve uh, black and brown youth, for there to be culture incorporated at every turn. Uh, and again, and when I say culture, I mean specifically um, the culture of, of, of people of African descent. That is what I personally mean when I mean culture. And of course we know, um, and again, I think at this point all, all are well uh, versed and subscribe to some variation of intersectionality, right? right? We are right. many, many different pieces. We're a part of many, many different communities. Mm-hmm. Again, you've already mentioned some of mine. I'm, I'm a Muslim. Right. I'm an African-American male. I'm like I'm a motorcycle rider. I'm a hip hop head. I wear all, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Yep. All of these different pieces comprise me. And, and I love each one of them equally for sure. You know, but specifically though, I believe that our young people through having little to no connection to their ancestral home mm-hmm. uh, and to, again, specifically a piece of them that, again, is larger and that connects them to, you know, uh, billions of people are, uh, are across this planet, I think is critical for us to ensure that we incorporate into programming. Uh, I, I don't care if it's something small, you have young people design their own Black History Month project, yeah. right? Each one of them takes and, and, and studies the work of, of a prominent figure. Right. Incentivize them, bribe them, pay them if you have to, because there's going to be some young people that rebel, right. that are like, what's that got to do with me and my community? Be prepared for that. That That's par for the course. That's what's been done to us. Yeah. But whatever we got to take to start building that connection, that there are people that look like you, that our history didn't just start 400 years ago right. when we landed in this country, but rather right. we have a rich history of of innovation and science and technology and mathematics, et cetera, right. I think is critical. And then if we want to look here at, at African-American history, uh, there's rich sources and, and, and lots of different examples for us to be able to lift up to, again, buoy the self-esteem of young people. Right. Young, uh, black and brown, our, 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 our kids' self-esteem is shot 
is shot. So that's the that's you know the first again I'm long winded Tori, but that's Something. the first um, you know sort of innovation that I would give it, it, is we gotta we gotta do that. We have to do that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, again, <laughs> see Sadiq, you gonna mess me up, bro. I know we I know we gotta be close to time, but we are, we are. So I got I got one more question for you. One more question. In your freedom dream, what does the future of youth work look like? Um I, th- I think it comes back to a lot of what I said earlier is that you know, a, a world where mentoring as as we know it today doesn't exist, and that that is rolled up into folded into community mm. community yes that, that 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 is my dream is that we build community we 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 make that a priority true community and, and i'll just share for uh for, share for the listeners one of my favorite definitions of community mm. and this this was coined by yes. a, a gentleman named fabian Fortmuller, um, who's the founder of the together institute so they talk a lot about um collaborative community building. And I just love this definition. And, and, and he defines community as a group of people that care about each other and feel they belong together. Mm. That care about each other and feel they belong together. Yes. And again, apply that to any community that you feel you are a part of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we got to build community. You see, cause if we do that the right way, that encompasses strong families. Yeah, that encompasses taking care of our elders, yep. our sick, and our young people. Mm-hmm. When we do that properly, it means nobody is starving. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not talking about again pure socialism or communism, right? Right. But I do believe that there is a place for true community to be uh, to be built and cultivated and invested in, yeah. and that I believe that community is the cure. Absolutely. That was beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you so much. Likewise. Likewise. Y'all, we have been speaking to Sadiq Ali, who is the founding executive director of Maryland Mentor, also the founder and CEO of Millionaire Manners Academy. He dropped so many gems, so many pieces of wisdom during the course of this episode. I'll make sure that I have links, references, everything that you need in the episode notes. Be sure to subscribe, share this with all the homies. And until next time, keep doing the good work.